Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Star Bros. We are excited to be with you today and talk about our favorite topic, Star Wars. I am joined by my co-host, Jan Solo. What's up? And I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Skywalker. Yeah, We're just really excited to start this, more so we can have these conversations. We'll talk a little bit about where the genesis of some of these uh, ideas came from and why we even wanted to do this podcast, but... You've got a lot to look forward, I think, to in, in terms of joining this community. First, we're going to be talking about uh, Star Wars in new ways. And we're trying to reach uh, a segment of the fans that I think is a bit underserved. You know, we ourselves have been fans since we were kids. Forever. Uh, as long as I can remember. Yep. I can thank my father for that. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a, a good portion of fans that haven't really uh, gotten their voice heard as much, you know, a quieter group, you know, we, we, there's a lot of loud voices out there around Star Wars. Uh, we tend to be a little bit quieter and, and very positive in our take on it. And, and, and inclusive. And inclusive. inclusive Maybe right? there's a lot of people who feel like they don't fit in because there are some big opinions out there on the internet. There's some, there's some big, strong opinions that may alienate some people, but Everybody's welcome here, whether you're a newbie, maybe you saw the movies in the theater in the very beginning, maybe you were in line in 1977 waiting for the original Star Wars to come out, or maybe you're just discovering it. Either way, you are welcome here. And more importantly, we are students of it as well. Like We are not experts nice in Star Wars, right? We are, uh, I think, pretty knowledgeable on it, but at the same time, uh, still discovering things every day. Like You've you will text me random things every day and say, Hey, I just learned something new about, uh, you know, about star Wars. Let me share it with you. And, and I lap it up. Right. But that's the point is like, we're still learning about it and there's so much to learn. Like I, I will shamefully admit right now, like I haven't read every book that's out there. Uh, cause I'm not a great reader, but I love it when I do hear about no, the premise. Nobody and, has, man. That's okay. And, okay. and, um, that, that's one of the things that we love about the Star Wars universe, right? Is it's so rich with detail and they're constantly adding to it. And so you can be a lifelong student of this stuff. And even if you're starting now, you've got decades of, of cool content to catch up on. So we're, we're constantly catching up and keeping up and, and trying to get ahead too. Exactly. So there's a lot for you to look forward to on this podcast. You'll hear all of our takes on things, but actually we want to engage with you as well. So yes. we'll... We'll start structure every one of our episodes very similarly. The first one, we'll, we'll talk about what's fresh, what's new in the world of Star Wars. Um, what do know, we call that segment? We call that news across the galaxy, yes. right? Uh, and then we'll get into our second segment, which is the meat of all of our episodes. It's going to be called More to the Story. Uh, this time we're going to get into Rise of Skywalker. And I forgot to mention at the top, the name of our, our first podcast episode is going to be called Rise and Shine Padawans, uh, where we'll talk about, uh, there's a bit of a double entendre there, right? <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, I, I don't have any kids, but but Ben's got um, three little Skywalkers at home. So he's officially in charge of any dad jokes or puns. I, it's not even in charge of, is they will happen naturally, because <laughs> naturally. that's just what happens when you become a dad. And unfortunately for you listeners, you get to uh, see him probably on the title of every episode fortunately fortunately depends on how you look at it right <laughs> i take a positive spin on the world sometimes um so so that'll be the second segment it's more of the meat uh more to the story the protein on your it. plate the protein on the plate right uh and then the dessert is actually going to be where we want to engage uh with with you the fans a bit more uh we're calling it our star wars fandom segment and this time since we are still trying to build that fan base uh we'll talk a little bit about our fandom yep uh but 
we hope to engage with you in the community a bit better, hear your story and share it on the air. So uh, actually, for those that do become Patreons of Star Bros, we will share as many stories as we get and you know, give a, a moment for you to shine a bit in, in Star Wars culture. So uh, if and if we don't have too much to share on that front, we'll also scour the universe for uh, things on Reddit or wherever you can find Star Wars fans engaging. So and other credible sources like that. But yeah, uh, so our, our link is uh, just patreon.com backslash Star Bros. Um, and yeah, like like Ben said, I think we really just want to build a community here, connect with other people, make you feel welcome. One of the things that we've discussed is the fact that bros is not a gender-specific term. So you can be from anywhere, any age, male, female, whatever, and be a star bro with us. You could be in Gungan. We'll, we'll still uh, we don't engage judge. with you. <laughs> Maybe a little. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, so let's get into it. Our, okay. our first topic, uh, news from across the galaxy. So I looked a couple things up this week. I'm sure you have as well. And let's clarify. Like right now... You know, we're talking mid-summer 2020 near the, I, I would have said end of te- the pandemic, but now it feels like it's kind of middle of the pandemic, not sure. Um, there's not too much going on in cinematic, uh, any anywhere in the cinematic universe. No, <laughs> it doesn't and, matter if it's Star Wars, Marvel, or, or any movie. Everything's kind of dried up. So, you know, the news is not going to be stuff that is um, blockbuster stuff that a big thing's about to happen or whatever, anything like that. I mean... Just to give one example, uh, if, if you're listening somewhere in the distant future, we drove past a movie theater recently in the state of Delaware, and the movie theater was showing uh, Jurassic Park as well as some other 90s movies, because there aren't new movies right now. There aren't new things that you can go see in a theater right now. So that's where we are in history. That's funny you say that. I actually drove by our movie theater close by, um, and I was shocked that they haven't mowed the grass at all this year because they're not open. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not even taking care of the property. It looks run down. I feel really bad for it, but fingers crossed that we can go and enjoy movies again sometime soon because we know we need it really bad. Yeah, hopefully, dear listeners, wherever you are listening to this in the hopefully not too distant future, things are back to normal and there is Star Wars news and you can <laughs> go to the movie theater. But right now, it's a little touch and go. But there are a couple things that we'll talk about, two really yeah. small things and then one big one. So I'll let you kick it off because you said you, you found a piece of news that I found pretty interesting. So go ahead. Yeah, so I, I came across an article on a site called SlashGear.com and SlashGear seems to be oriented towards guy stuff, I would say. Um it's like cars and electronics. And, you know, I, for, for a show that that's inclusive, I probably shouldn't call it that. I'm sure there's a lot of girls and other folks who enjoy SlashGear.com. But I'm just getting used to it. And my first reaction was, wow, I would have loved this when I was like 11 years old. Um, well, why can't you enjoy it now, though? Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it now, too. Uh, but to, for me to kind of kick off the story, I'm going to go back to another SlashGear article from October of last year. And uh, this article was about um, an action figure. A Star Wars action figure. Did you have any of those when you were growing up? Um, I had a, f- a few, honestly, okay. but I can't, honestly, I can't remember where they went. I, my side note, not to go too far off track, my parents were not great at keeping my toys. And even if they meant something to yeah, me, mine. like I had the Star Wars battleship game. It was the coolest thing. I looked it up the other day and That's it's right. over a hundred bucks to get it now if you want it again. So, but I bet my parents just threw it in a garbage can one day and I'm, I'm still trying to forgive him for that (laughs) i'm just gonna shake that off yeah on move on with your story please (laughs) um so yeah going back to this this article uh there was an auction so both of these articles are about auctions of the same action figure and 
I think what's particularly interesting about Star Wars history is its its linkage with toys and with merchandise. Oh yeah, and and now that's normal, right? Like now a big block a summer blockbuster movie comes out, and you expect that there's going to be T-shirts and kids' toys and lunch boxes and whatever else. But I don't, I don't know if that was always really the case. And um, George Lucas was pretty smart in that uh, he knew that uh, merchandise was an opportunity to further market a movie. And my understanding is that when the the first Star Wars came out, he didn't expect to get a lot of marketing. So he really invested in uh, the idea that he was going to sell T-shirts and posters and they were going to be really cool and they were going to be eye-catching and people were going to get interested in the films. And and just real quick on that, I think because he wanted to take more of a um, share in it, he didn't want the, the studios to be taking all the profits. Yeah. And I don't think he got that much actually for the first Star Wars. For Empire, it was pretty much all him. It was, he set up Lucasfilm. He, he set up, uh, you know, the, the financing as much as he could himself. And I think he used the merchandising mm. uh, as a way to um, provide collateral for financing. Brilliant. Which is crazy. But so anyway, my understanding is that in, in the late 70s, um, the mid 70s, I should say, uh, leading into the late 70s, uh, they were asking around different toy companies and saying, hey, we have this movie coming out. We want to have some merchandise that goes with it. And Kenner Toys was the one that said, yeah, sure. Not all that enthusiastically, if I'm not mistaken. So apparently Kenner Toys wanted um, a line of toys that had something to do with sci-fi or space, but they weren't really all that hung up on what the movie was actually going to be about. So anyway, Kenner Toys uh, makes uh, the deal of a lifetime and signs on with George Lucas and Star Wars. And they make all these mo- they make all these toys that are a huge hit. But one of them was a Boba Fett action figure. And the Boba Fett action figure is apparently, I don't know, there's probably some people listening who are really um, well-informed on this topic. I'm, I'm not myself. One of the most valuable action figures, um, one of the most coveted uh, action figures, one of the most coveted toys, I guess you could say, for collectors, and uh, some people even consider it an art piece. But uh, the, the, the full name of it is the Star Wars Boba Fett rocket-firing prototype J-slot. And eventually... That's a mouthful, yep. for the record. <laughs> And the, the big deal about it was the fact that uh, this, this was an action figure that actually did shoot this little red missile. So it had some kind of spring-loaded thing in it or whatever, and it could fire this missile. Just to clarify, this is before, uh, um, not Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back ever came out? This is Yeah, so you're right. So I think in if this article, if I remember correctly, I think in 1978, Kenner is working with a prototyping plant in Hong Kong to manufacture this they make somewhere between 80 and 100 of this boba fett that can actually shoot this missile and today who knows how many are left but we know that about 25 of them made it to the u.s the rest of them sort of went all over the rest of the world but uh so one of them surfaced towards the end of last year and this one was rated by the action figure authority afa.org uh, which I have to spend some time on. I think that's probably... How do you get that job? What's the qualifications for it, you know? I would... I, oh, man, Just I curious. Know. I don't know. That's a tough one. We should interview um, someone from there one day. Yeah, that's a great idea. That'd be amazing. Yeah, let's 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 put that in the parking lot, as they say. <laughs> I feel like there's something there. But anyway, so uh, so one of these one of these uh, rocket firing prototypes emerges towards the end of last year and goes on the auction block and. Believe it or not, well, let me let me ask you. What do you think somebody pays for? So this, this is the one 
that actually fires the rocket, we know that about 25 of them made it to the U.S. What do you think I mean, that goes for? Boba Fett is one of the most coveted and, and beloved characters in Star Wars and has such a cult following that I can imagine someone who just is such a fan of Boba Fett and has the, the money to throw around coming to the table with quite the purse. So I'm going to guess somewhere in the range of $3 million. Wow. That, so is that high? That's high. Uh, I'll tell you, it's so it, it went for one hundred thirty thousand. Okay, never. Where um, was I going? <laughs> which is still loads of money. Still, for, yeah. For uh, a Kenner action figure from the late seventies, but um, all right. So so flash forward to this past week. Uh, so we're talking uh, June twenty twenty. Just a few months later, another one of these pops up out of nowhere, and goes to the same auction house. And one of the big differences, by the way, is the AFA, the Action Figure Authority, rated the other one. So they, I guess they have a 0 to 100 rating scale. The other one was an 85. This one was a 90. Okay. So if you're... <laughs> I think it's probably a big deal to some people, right? To yeah. Go. So this might be... I don't know. Just making this up. This might be the, mo- the, most, the closest to mint rocket-firing prototype Boba Fett that's ever been auctioned. So what do you think this one goes for? The other one went for 130 something. Well, I know not to say 3 million now. Uh well, okay. Let's say let's say 300,000. that so you're going a little bit high again. This one went for 185. Okay. There's no telling if it went to the same person or or if it went to a private collector or a museum or where it went. But this one went for uh, significantly more. They've, it looks like that they've ranged from going for about 45000 to this one was the highest ever, 185000 okay. So, you know, going back to the, the, the beginning here, Star Wars has this really unique history in that they sort of launched the toy merchandising, co-merchandising kind of um, marketing approach where not only could you go see a movie, but you could immerse yourself in it with the toys and the t-shirts and the lunchboxes and things like that. And this action figure is an important piece of history. And it sort of harkens back to the very beginning days where they found a partner to help them get Star Wars stuff into kids' hands. Uh, Interestingly enough, the version of that Boba Fett action figure that eventually hit the market, you couldn't shoot the missile. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was just a prototype, so I'm not too surprised. Just a prototype. But yeah. But And here's the thing. I think... One of the reasons why that's such an important um, part of the uh, important part part of that story is a lot of the people that grew up on Star Wars, right, loved playing with them as kids, right. They they've got the money now, and they want to relive some of that fandom. They want to just reminisce a little bit, and and I think that's an important part of Star Wars. Like you and I talked, we got introduced to it as kids as well. We may not have grown up with them, but that doesn't mean that it uh, it speaks to children, right? It speaks to kids, and George Lucas was very deliberate on making sure it did that from the start. So. You know, the the merchandising and making sure that toys get into the hands of kids is all part of just making sure that it it is it's magical. Like, it brings dreams to life, you know, for these kids. Maybe it's good that it's in Disney's hands for that reason, right? Yeah. It kind of yeah. Me- meshes, meshes together pretty well. And, and, and like you were saying about, um, you know, just how we're always students of the stories, I, I think the toys are another good way to do that because they constantly add some depth or give you some new um, background in a character or things like that that um, maybe they didn't have room for in you know the two hours of the movie, but they can give you the name and the backstory and give you some sense of what the weapons are and um, 
you know, things like that through the toy. So it's another way of communicating the story in some ways. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, or letting the kids to have their imagination and communicate the stories, right? right? So right. Um, funny enough, I mean, I've got my piece of news yeah. is a toy story as well. Um, it looks like this week Lego made an announcement that is going to launch uh, pop art is what it's calling. Okay, It's a, you know, a board that you can put these those little Lego dots, you know what I'm talking about, um, on the board in a certain way that it creates art, right? Are, are they those little dots that you get, like, in the games? Uh, like, when you... Exactly, okay. yeah. Like, okay. when they, they break off, it's like the... Or, yeah, you have they to collect them. scattering around and... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, this is uh, art using those little dots. Cool. Uh, which I think is great. And, and this wasn't the just Star Wars news, right? They they announced a Marvel one. They announced, a, I think, a Marilyn Monroe one. Um, okay. But then they have one called The Sith. There's one from every genre, right? From every, uh, sorry, um, trilogy that they've done so far. You have Darth Maul, Darth Vader, and Kylo Ren. You know I love art of, of Star Wars, at least. Like, I've got the we books. Both, yeah. Yeah, we both do. Um, something about the the Star Wars art just really stands out to me. This looks amazing. Like I need to have this and hanging up in my room because it, it kind of look looks a little fun. Like it's Lego, right? But it actually looks good. You know, if you, I mean, I'll show you the image so you can see it. Like that looks really cool. So is the idea that you get a kit and you sort of follow the the instructions to put it together yourself yeah yeah so uh, you, and you can download uh the instruction booklet as well uh, and i think it's, it'll come with the lego pieces that you need uh, in the kit cool. but like if you want to do something so you can they're little i think like i don't know 12 by 12 uh frames of each one of the heads um but then you can actually do this where you have like the full-blown darth vader body which is about uh you know three feet by uh, one very foot. cool and it looks fantastic like having this big lego darth vader in your room you know so if you're a fan of lego if you're a fan of star wars you know and there's a star wars lego game coming out later this year it's just it's a match made in heaven right this is kind of a must-have for you um probably going to be something i get i think the price that i saw was uh 120 or something (laughs) they can get pretty pricey they Um, can and, and when it pairs up with a really recognizable brand like star wars then yeah you're paying for that a little bit but um gosh yeah i think if you draw a Venn diagram of people who love Legos and people who love Star Wars, they intersect in a big way. <laughs> it's it's not even a Venn diagram. It's just a bubble it's just that circles on top right? of each other. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the, the games, um, the Lego Star Wars TV shows or yeah. TV specials or whatever that they were. Which are actually really good and, and have some good humor in them too. So highly yeah. recommend checking it out. I um, uh, you know, So Ben and I play video games together. Uh, I, I, I have a Nintendo 3DS that I've bought a couple of Star Wars Legos games for. Um, and I'm always impressed with on something uh, in, that sort of shrunk down on a tiny little screen like that with a tiny little speaker, how, how well they communicate a story and, and really make it genuinely entertaining. So they put a lot of love into those Lego games and um, yeah. any Star Wars Lego stuff. And I'm looking forward to what they come out with later this year because it's supposed to have everything, the whole Skywalker saga. I mean, I know they had that okay. one where they had episodes one through six uh all in in one game it was fine right but you know lego and and video games have definitely come a long way since then so i'm excited to see what they do they had the force awakens game which was also fantastic you could jump around between worlds that had extra stories right that was actually the first one that i got oh really Mm -hmm. okay yeah i'm late to it 
Say that again? I was a little bit late to the whole thing, but that okay. was the very first one that I got. And yeah, it was terrific. I, I loved it. I, I actually have gone back and played it a few times most recently. Uh, cool. Uh, my wife did, but you know, it, it definitely lives on. It does play really well. Very cool. So I'm really excited for the one they come out with later this year as yeah. well. I really appreciate that the Lego has that the Lego brand has managed to expand into not just toys that you play with, but telling a story in some way. The movies were a huge hit. Um, the the games are a huge hit. So you know that, like I said, that that pairing up with Star Wars just a match made in heaven. Agreed. Very cool. All right, I want to get to another piece of news, which is a bit old at this point. I think it's been. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, this came out on uh, Star Wars Day on May 4th. Okay. Um, so it has been almost two months to the day since this came out um, by the at point where we're recording this podcast. But it's such big news that I think we need to cover it and just get a reaction to it, right? This is our inaugural one, so we have to kind of go back. And like we said, it's been a, a dry well to pull from lately. And this is the best uh, the best news that we've had in a while. But this it's the news of Taika Waititi coming to oh, yeah. Star Wars. Actually, not really coming to Star Wars. Coming to the cinematic yep. side of Star Wars. Because he's been on the small screen now. Um, he my, was... my, my favorite name in Hollywood, by the way. Oh, it's the best name, right? So those who don't know who he is, you probably have for seen shame. something. For shame. <laughs> no. Uh, you've probably seen something uh, that he's done. And in seeing something that's done, you've actually seen him because he acts in all the movies that he does. Um, the ones that I've seen are uh, Hunt of the Wilder People. Hilarious. Really one of his first... Um, it wasn't even that big of a movie. It was an indie movie, right? But uh, it was really well done. It had a lot of humor, but it, it was very touching at the same time. Um, then he did Thor Ragnarok, which if you've seen Thor Ragnarok, which I'm, I'm assuming so many people have, it's, it's one of the best, uh, and, Marvel and was, movies. Was that his first big, like blockbuster Hollywood movie? That was, nobody knew who he was before then. Cause he did indie films. He was smaller. I was going to say, I, I didn't have an awareness of him. Um, but it seems like he's hit a bunch of home runs in pretty quick su- succession. Yeah. And that was one of his first ones. I think. Thor was a franchise that needed to have a breath of life, um, you know, given to it. And he gave it like he brought in this humorous tone. He helped Chris Hemsworth to love the role again. I mean, he did a lot for not just that franchise, but for that character, for that story. And yeah, a lot of the, what you remember from that is the humor. But he's also dealing with something really tragic and difficult, which is the destruction of Thor's home world. Like, that's a really touchy subject, right? Yeah, and, and I think I think you and I have discussed that one of his gifts is that he can really balance the, the emotional, poignant stuff with some genuine humor. And, and there's no better example of that than his last movie, Jojo Rabbit, which... Uh, was Which nominated I for seen. Oscars, and I think I think it won one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, fantastic. Totally recommend that you see that uh, tonight. That's something you got to do. Um, <laughs> I, I still remember um, when you first told me about watching the trailer for that movie, and I couldn't believe what you were telling me. Nobody could. I couldn't believe I was saying it. I mean, it's... Taika what, what is... is in, in one or two sentences, for anybody who hasn't seen Jojo Rabbit. All right. All you need to know is Taika is playing Adolf Hitler. Like how delicate could this be? He's doing a satire on World War Two in Nazi Germany, where a boy is growing up and being taught the philosophies and and the dogmatic view, right of uh, uh of the Nazis, and it's following his it's it's following this boy and seeing his journey unfold. 
uh, which is really the the best part of it. So, so, so the you, you can imagine if if you're hearing that for the first time. Uh, so Ben and I actually we have the the good fortune of working together, and yeah. that's how we originally met. And so we were at work one day, and he was explaining to me what this movie was about. And I just assumed that maybe I misheard some of that or all of that because it's just bananas. <laughs> well, even when you watch the trailer, you still can't believe it. But I couldn't believe it. He So he is able to make that a satire, put humor into something that's very sensitive, especially in this day and age, right? And yeah, the, the, way, the way that I put it to you before, I think, was that that's the cinematic um, equivalent of riding a motorcycle through a flaming hoop. Like, you, you can't be off by a couple of degrees. Otherwise you know, you're riding home in an ambulance. <laughs> you're exactly right. But uh, it, he is the only director that could stick that landing. And he does beautifully. And again, it's humorous, but it's also very touching. It's got a lot of, uh, you know, heart and soul to it as well. So highly recommend that movie for anyone that wants to. And if you like that, if you like Thor, um, you're going to love what he does with Star Wars. I mean, he did. If you like the redemption episode of the, the Mandalorian. Exactly. That was my next point. So he did the redemption episode, which starts off with one of the most humorous thing in all of Star Wars, right? He's he's making fun of Stormtroopers' inability to by, aim. By the way, um, the show will be riddled with spoilers, whether it's about the Mandalorian oh, yeah. or the Rise of Skywalker, which we're going to be talking about next. Um, we're not going to hold back. So um, if, if you haven't seen any of these things and you'd prefer to before you hear us talk about it, now's probably a good time to hit pause. Hit pause, go watch it, come back, listen, get our reactions. But it's been out long enough to where we feel really comfortable yeah. talking about it, right? Um, but that is a good point. So, yeah, Mandalorian Redemption, one of the best episodes where he's dealing with the Mandalorian, you know, trying to come to terms with IG-11, which is Taika voicing that for the record, yeah. uh, in case you didn't know, know that, and helping him to you know, fix his issue with droids, right? It's a pretty heavy episode. Heavy. And, and that droid goes f- from one end of the spectrum to the other, going from a pure killing machine to becoming a nurse droid and yeah. becoming a, a caretaker and a caregiver. Exactly. So he's dealing with all of that in one episode and adding some humor as he goes. Especially so that, at the so that's what this guy can do. He can do a lot. And I think after you saw that and saw what he can do there, let's give him more than just 30 minutes or four. I think that was 40 minutes or so. Let's give him two and a half hours and see what he can yeah. really do. So I'm excited by that news. I can't wait to see what he does. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed as well, fans. You will be happy that someone like Taika has been brought into the fold. And I know we've had a lot of directors come in, and now we had Benioff and Weiss, and that was just you know very tumultuous, right? But with John Favreau, with Taika coming in, with some of these, and, and then Kevin Feige as well from the MCU, a lot of MCU people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we can trust that they're going to put together some great movies. And I, I still have faith that Ryan Johnson, if his trilogy does happen, yeah. we will like it. I know there's a lot of people split on Last Jedi, to each his own on it. Yeah. We loved it. But Ryan, in his own state, or his own slate, will be able to do a lot, too. So if those are the movies we're getting, we're going to be really happy, I think. Yeah, and I, it feels now like uh, the the people who are at sort of the core of making Star Wars content are all not that far removed from each other and sort of enjoy each other's company. I'm thinking of like the Mandalorian gallery with like Favreau, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, Dave Filoni. Um, you can tell that these people are kind of vibing off each other and they really enjoy uh, one another's takes on the same content. And it just sort of feels like just this this recipe of when you get a bunch of different talented people together working on the same thing with a passion for it, a lot of interesting stuff is going to come out of it. And uh, I, I feel like we're at that place now where it's not just 
like studio executives who are really far removed from the process doing some market research and saying, hey, we have the best chance of making a blockbuster with this person. Like it's people who genuinely respect each other's work and sort of tapping one another. And we're inspired by Star Wars growing up. Too. Yes. They, they they talk all the time about, yeah, Star Wars. That's why we got into the cinema. Right. Um, so it's great to see that they've reached this point in their careers where now they can give back to the franchise that yeah. got them that passion. So, so let me ask you about something real quick. So you said in the beginning, hey, this is not, you know, hot off the press. And, and that may be true. But at the same time, we still don't have a lot of information to go off of. We don't really know, uh, you know, what his film is going to look like, where the story is going to go, anything like that. Um, so let me ask you, what, what do you think? What do you think Taika does with his first chance to make a Star Wars movie? That's and a, I say first because I don't know. That's but. a great question. I mean, he could do almost every, anything. He could start a, he could do some crazy story on, you know that takes place on Alderaan right before it blows up. And, uh, you know, he could do something crazy like I that. I shouldn't laugh. It's too soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he could he could go into something that we already know. He could go to, you know, the, um, you know, the Old Republic stuff. Oh, like, he, yeah. he could go further in time even. I, I don't see them going further in time just yet. I think if they do anything, they're going to go back. Um, but that's a topic for another time. So, honestly... Give him wherever you feel like he can add the most. Um, you know, maybe it's somewhere in between Empire and uh, Force Awakens, right? Somewhere in that era, in, in like the rise of uh, the First Order or something. You know, who knows? But mm-hmm. what the only thing that you got to make sure that he has is a fresh light to deal with, um, some new characters that he can bring in, and uh, you know, something that's again heavy. That's really difficult, which is not that hard to find in Star Wars. There's always some really heavy stuff that's yeah. that's happening in that uh, in that galaxy. So, um, I really don't care about the time period. I just want to make sure that he's got the freedom to to really show what he's capable of doing. Which which I think he will, because again, going back to the point about uh, the the movies that he's made, so critically acclaimed stuff, financially successful stuff. His, the the work he did on the Mandalorian really stands out as being top notch. I think they're going to give him a lot of room to do, to realize whatever vision he has for it creatively, artistically, but also technology wise, you know, I think he probably has a lot of room to do some creative stuff there too. So I'm excited for it. I I agree. I'm not sure. Uh, You know, we have no indication of what time period it's going to be, but I could see him doing something with the brand new slate of characters in um, some corner of the universe that uh, maybe we have some inkling of, but don't really get to know until we see this movie. It'll have some familiar points, right? Yeah. All of them have to. Like, even when they did Rogue One, there were so many new characters, but they, they started off on Heaven 4. Like, yeah. you, something that was anchored in your minds as being Star Wars. So, yeah. um, while then introducing things like Jedha and, and Scarif and stuff, like, uh, you know, so... You know, I think there was, I, I think there was that kind of movie that I had in mind when I thought of Taika's like giving something that's familiar yet new. Does he does he make really long movies? Is it going to be like an epic, two um, hour forty five minute movie? I I mean they they're different, right? I, I that's a good question. I'd have to look up, but I I think they're usually around two hours. You okay. know, they're they're regular size movies, um, except for like Thor Ragnarok was probably a little bit longer. 
Um, actually, if I'm not mistaken, that might be one of the shorter ones, but we'll, we'll, Is it? we'll okay. fact check that. Yeah. This is me being a little bit greedy. I, uh, you know, I just, <laughs> all this pent up star Wars demand that, you know, I'll have from, you know, just from my perspective, I'm going to want a three hour movie by the time that comes out. <laughs> well, we're once they come out with a movie again, we're going to be starved, which is a good thing. Every time that they do, they make a killing. Phantom Menace made a killing. Yeah. And then, uh, Force Awakens S- still, I think Phantom Menace is still one of the biggest movies of the nineties. I, I think it is. And... Just right behind Titanic, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Uh, but even then, Force Awakens um, is still, I think, the number one movie in the U.S. in terms of uh, gross receipts. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah they're we'll, we'll do an episode on that sometime. Yeah, we should. The finances of, of Star Wars movies, but uh, but there is something about just um, that time in between films mm-hmm. that does Star Wars benefit. It has historically, so I think it'll do them some benefit here as well. Cool. I'm excited. So let's move on to our next segment of the show, which we're calling More to the Story. And this is going to be our Rise of Skywalker review. Yes. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say. We actually, actually, let's back up. The genesis of this podcast came because we went to Rise of Skywalker, like we do with all of the movies we've, you and I have gone to together since we met um, eight years ago. We, we've been really consistent. We've seen, um, I think, I think there might be one of them either solo or maybe rogue one that we didn't see on opening night but we've pretty much seen them all on opening night we've seen them all on opening night on the thursday night preview night specifically like the first available showing in the u.s where we were uh, where we are here on the east coast which trivia for the force awakens i think we saw one of the earliest showings if not the earliest showing on the east coast in the u.s yeah on on thursday we We saw like a 540 showing or something but we had to stay off social media remember because people in australia had already started to see it yeah that's right that's right we, we didn't want to get spoilers but uh yeah, so we've seen them all. We went and saw Rise of Skywalker together, and then afterwards we were a bit hungry, and it was about uh, you know nine or ten by the time we left the theater, and we didn't get dinner beforehand, so uh, we went to a diner that was open. Whatever we just, we we just drove around because remember we we couldn't get tickets at a theater nearby, so right. We- we had to we had to commute somewhere else, and um, we were in an area that we weren't familiar with, and we were driving around. It was a cold night, yeah. and we spotted this diner. Yeah, and we hop in there. We were very generous we were a couple of bros at that moment because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. uh instead of sitting next to a bunch of other people who may be star wars fans or haven't seen the movie we went and found a booth that was off to the side so while we talked about it we didn't spoil anything yep. you know pat ourselves on the back for that uh but then we got into it and just again started talking about our thoughts of the movie and everything we liked and, and broke it down we got it down. we got deep at yeah. least we spent a while in this diner and it wasn't long after that where we were like, you know, I think we might have brought up the idea of like, we should do a podcast. And then you text me a few weeks, months later, and we're like, we got to do this thing. So um, we have Rise of Skywalker to thank for that. And yeah. that conversation in that diner uh, that we'll think back on very fondly. I yeah. Think. So high level, scale of uh, one to 10, where would you put this movie? How would you rank this movie? So I'll, I'll say that I walked out of that theater feeling completely satisfied with the wrap-up of the Skywalker saga. A lot of the fan service uh, really hit home for me. It was stuff that I wanted to see. I feel like they crammed a ton of action into the movie that was really satisfying. Uh, beautiful to look at. Music was phenomenal. Always is, though, in Star Always Wars It's John Williams. It's going to be. So I, I, I would give it uh, an 8.5. I think that's good. That's probably about where I had it. I would give it an 8. Um, and I've given you know, most Star Wars movies usually nines or tens. So that's actually on the lower side for me. Same here. It doesn't mean it's bad. Same here. Um, and, we, and we can dig into that. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, like it was very fast. 
It was, but then again, all movies that a lot of movies lately that I've gone and seen, a lot of the Marvel movies go very fast, and you have to rewatch them. And I find the trick is, in terms of like the ones that do well with that and those that don't, you know, we're going in there suspending reality. How well does it allow you to suspend reality? And if it takes you out and pulls you out of the movie, even just for a little bit, that's when that speed starts to feel a little bit too fast because you're like, whoa, 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 wait. What just happened over there? I That's missed something, right? And it's because you got pulled out of the movie a bit. Um, but if you leave it going, I want more, I need to go back and watch this again and see what I miss and stuff, then that's a good sign. And I felt a bit of both. I felt like in some moments, some of the Leia moments, which were great for me, but you know, at some points I went, oh, I can feel that this is forced a bit in terms of dialogue, but it's still working. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they got her in with what they had. It would have felt cheap to me if they would have just said, oh, she's gone. Too bad. Uh, we have to do the movie without her. Yeah, they, they had to do something. And I, I also recognized they were working with what they had, and I felt like it, it came across pretty well. But the the point you made about the pacing, I think, was a really good one in that I think it's like the the first 10 minutes of the movie or whatever. Uh, I was just like, where are the characters? Where are we now? What's happening? And, you know, what is the connection from there to here? And uh, now we're on to the next thing. So it was a little bit breakneck. Um, Took me out of it maybe for a second while we were in the theater. And I was just sort of getting my bearings to the film. Um, But then again, that's kind of the pace of what's happening in the story of the movie. Yeah. Things are evolving really quickly. And, um, you know, the, the tension is ramping up and all those things. So it sort of fit. Um, but I, I think it took me a couple of rewatches to uh, appreciate that point. I think yeah. the first time I saw it, I was just like, um, kind of hanging onto my seat here. Where are we? What's happening? Exactly. And they're introducing a lot of things, which later on, again, when you watch a second, a third time, you go, oh, I see why they did that at the beginning of the yes. movie. And they pulled it back. For example, you go to the scene with Ray. She's got rock circling around her. It was a really cool visual scene. Um, you know, as part of her training, she's trying to connect with the Jedi of the past and she's saying, be with me, be with me. And then says, they're not with me. Oh, and gives up. And then later on in the movie, she's facing Palpatine and they're with her. Right. I didn't make that connection the first time watching it. It took the second time, Ah, third time watching. I went, Oh, that's why they did that. They planted that little seed there so that when it came back up later, you understood it. But the problem was I didn't get it the first time. I didn't get it until maybe the third time, actually. They they cram so much in this movie that you can't really expect to appreciate all that the first time around. And that's where all right, some people are like, that's bad making. That's bad filmmaking right there. I'm like, you know what? That's Star Wars. They always put so much into them to the point where you want to go back and watch it again and pick out something that you might have missed or, or think about something you didn't think of before, which is a great way to rewatch the movies, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think Boba Fett, who has maybe a total of... At least in the the main trilogy, what fifteen minutes of playtime? We should look that up. Like he doesn't have that much screen time, and he's one of the we talked at the open, one of the f- favorites of Star Wars, one, one of the all time faves. Yeah. So that's what the beauty of Star Wars is: is it plants these little seeds that you want to go back and and pull out, plant, and kind of see what happens. Right. You bring one up all the time with Rise of Skywalker, which is, do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know. Ocho. Ochi. Ochi. Yeah. Why do I get his name wrong? Crap. <laughs> Ochi. Right? He's got he's probably got a cool story. He's probably got a really interesting story. Um I think we I think we've talked about this before where so just as a reminder, uh it's Ochi's dagger that they find. Um I think on Pasana, is that right? Mm-hmm. 
it's Ochi's dagger that they find. They find a ship. Um, we're introduced to Dio the droid, who is um, uh, living on, living in quotes, on Ochi's ship. And um, all we really know about him at this point is that he's this uh, Jedi hunter and just comes across as a very dark and creepy character. Oh, yeah. That's that's all we've got at this point in some of the books, the art of Sky, the art of the rise of Skywalker. I think he gets a, a half a page or something in there. But yeah, I think I think there's some depth there. And I think I could totally see Ochi having a graphic novel or a comic book or something like that. Uh, we haven't seen the last of him. You know, maybe that's Taika's movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, maybe it's a bounty hunter movie. Maybe yeah. it's like a, I don't and he's I don't think he's categorized as a bounty hunter. He's categorized as, more as like a. Um, Sith henchman, you know, yeah. like he, yeah. he just kind of did their bidding. He was more, more of an assassin. He was like a hitman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Hitman. Yeah, maybe that's Taika's movie, right? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but that's the stuff that we love about Star Wars. It introduces and, these and things. And we, nev- we never saw him before this movie, right? No, okay. no. I, and I don't know if we saw even the concept of, of him, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, Ochi, want to know a little bit. Babu Freak, I want to know more about him. Yep. He's <laughs> probably one of my favorite characters yep. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, debate, um, you know, if, if you're, again, so this this podcast is for anybody, even folks who are brand new to Star Wars, but when um, uh, last year we were blessed to get both Baby Yoda in The Mandalorian <laughs> and Babu in yeah. The Rise of Skywalker, there was a little bit of a Twitter battle about um, who's the coolest new character in the Star Wars universe. It's still uh, Baby Yoda. Uh, I'm still a Baby Yoda fan. Yeah, but, or uh, the child actually is his right name. We should right, remember that. Right, and at some point, I think this year, we're going to find out what his name is. Hopefully. But that's another episode. That will be next. Um, but yeah, like what a really cool concept of just this little dude who um, is what a few inches tall and is just this little genius who can hack into any droid or whatever. Like that's kind a of cool a concept. Spanish accent or something. I it's just like uh, it's just hilarious. It, it, just hilarious. Just yeah. a really really cool character. And we got a lot of new characters in this one, right? Um, which you know, I think every time they introduce a few new ones, you 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 appreciate that because like the Boba Fett's like you want to know a little bit more about them. Babu freak is, is one of them. Um, Zori bliss. Zori bliss was the next one I was going to bring up. Uh, what are your thoughts? So I, I appreciated getting a little bit of, uh, a little bit more backstory on Poe, which is kind of why she's introduced is to give that, that backstory to Poe. Yeah. And I forget, I forget what the term is for that. A foil. In, in a story where somebody's used to tell more of somebody else's story. I, yeah. think, I think that's that's called a foil, dramatic foil. Um, but I think she's got her own story too. And I think when they're on that rooftop talking about getting off the planet and picturing a future, um, you get a sense of who she is. And um, Well, she's the leader of the Spice Cartel, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. And that's part of Poe's past that we find out. Right. Um, but it doesn't seem like she wants that forever, right? She, she has a that vision forever. for something else. She's grown up in some way. And so then you get uh, a look into her maturing as, as a person and um, all that emotional stuff. And, you know, that that's pretty satisfying. I thought it was really interesting that they, they cast Carrie Russell as this character. And then she never really takes off her mask the whole movie. Yeah. Like you that's, see her yeah. eyes a little bit. You do. Yeah. So you get to see that she's human, but I mean, that's, that's why you never see Boba Fett. That's true. Right. And <laughs> we talk about the Mandalorian. We will get to that in another episode and we're dying to, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we don't get to see, uh, to see him until the very end. And we're actually kind of surprised. And that's, that's kind of a gift, right? Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I, at first I thought that she was just going to be this foil, but then I realized, okay, she's got some depth to her. 
she has a future that she's aspiring to, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Um, and so, uh, you know, she's a three-dimensional character, which I, I wasn't sure if she would be at first. I agree. And and I don't think I would put her up as like at the top of my list, like glad that she was there. But I, I definitely liked her character and want to know a little bit more. And I, I kind of hope there's a, there's something there with Poe. And, you know? and, and kind of the same thing with Hux, where yeah. earlier appearances, he seems sort of flat and one-dimensional and just just this just this bad guy and then in in the the last jedi you get to see a little bit of his frustration come out when poe's kind of poking and prodding at him um which is not by the way that is totally the character for him yeah he has always been in the shadow and jealous and having this this tiff back and forth with kylo ren you see it in the very first scene that you see huxton like they're just you know they're going back and forth about this BB unit and, and Kylo's kind of play, making a power play over him and he yeah. doesn't like it. So they've always been at each other. And, and, and he was so totally. mad when he, when Kylo Ren became Supreme leader, you could totally, tell. I, I do feel like in the earlier ones though, the way that the character actor played it, and I can't remember his name, I apologize, but he sort of Dom Gleason, right? He sort of bites it back a little bit where it's sort of subdued. It's a little bit like under the surface and you could see these kind of gritting his teeth. But then as time goes on, uh, you know, in The Last Jedi, you could just see he's really frustrated. And then by the time we get to this movie, we get the big plot twist. Well, and they have that scene at the very end of The Last Jedi where they, they zoom in on him and he's just looking at Kyle just like, I'm stewing. I do. I'm stewing. I am not on board with you as the leader. This isn't working for me. You can see the plot in his head start yep. to formulate. And that's and you get to see the result of that plot formulating in rise of skywalker so let's get let's get to that for just a second okay do you think this is a big debate amongst some star wars fans do you think that rise of skywalker retconned and fixed things about the last jedi that fans didn't like or do you think that it played nicely with less jedi and built on it i'll give an example some people think that you know they they played the luke character terribly and and um, last Jedi okay and made him this you know curmudgeon uh old guy that was putting himself in solitude and saying go away I don't want to help anyone like they just didn't like that they felt like that wasn't their Luke and then in Rise of Skywalker you see him say that I was wrong that wasn't right for me to do that I see why some people saw that okay and maybe that is you know to each his own again maybe that is what uh they wanted to do in a, a way but I also saw it as a progression of his character arc. Personally, I think anybody that goes through what Luke Skywalker did and watching what he tried to rebuild, him and Leia both experienced this. They tried to rebuild the Republic and rebuild it in the right way. And they watched it get you know, torn apart by Leia's son. Uh, you know, Luke's literally all of his Padawans are gone except for one. And he's off with Snoke now. He's down on his luck he's down on himself he feels like he's failed after everything that he's been through at that age and like i would have a hard time too and anyone that says that uh, luke skywalker is supposed to be the hero he's supposed to be the the one that we all hold high and can can stand tall amongst all that stress like who are you kidding he's human we all are right and to me that worked in the last jedi when he was upset and put himself in solitude Yoda did that, right? Right. People forget that. I right. mean, you, you can point back to that and say, here's another really good example of somebody who's supposed to be the super, just sort of consistently dependable hero archetype who um, is more complicated than that. Right. And I know Yoda wasn't bitter like like uh, 
Luke appeared to be in this one, but Luke's always been more emotional. We've seen that like, he was very emotional in in uh, um, episodes five and six, right? And it almost cost him. That's that's who he is. That's his character. And for him to then come at the very end and say, "I was wrong," Ray, do better than me, really worked. And it worked to Ray's benefit, and it worked for the end of his arc. Some people saw that as a retcon. I did not. So that's back to my question: Did you see this as fixing the things that people didn't like about Last Jedi? Or progressing them? No, I yeah, I don't I don't see them as being things that had to be fixed or solved or undone or anything like that. Um, that there's a lot of fan service in this movie. There's stuff that people wanted to see or had opening lingering questions about, like Chewie getting his medal, things like that. Um, and even those kinds of things, like I don't I don't perceive them as solving for or or fixing something from a prior movie. I think it's skillfully uh, helping to evolve the story and evolve the characters so that you kind of stick the landing. Yeah. You know, this is the end of the Skywalker saga. There is a lot that people are expecting. There's a lot that people want to see. Um, there are high hopes for a lot of the characters. And I think that, uh, again, I think, I think JJ was trying to stick the landing and, and have things wrap up in a place where uh, it makes sense. It's the right thing for them. And it's the right thing for the audience too. I think it's a good message too. I think Luke's story is a really good message. Yeah. Um, there are phases in people's lives where they feel like they want to find their own private Octo and go and stay there for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, sometimes that's the self-imposed thing where you beat yourself up over things. But if you can find your way back from that after sort of reflecting on that, then um, you know that that's that's one of the wonderful things in life when you can sort of overcome your own demons in some ways. So and, and they're supposed to be relatable characters, not ones that right. are so far and above you that you can never aspire to be like them. And Luke is, a, I mean, you know, he has the he can use the force like he's uh, he's a Skywalker, right? Um, yeah, he is far and above us, but it's nice to know that we can relate to him. Yeah, right. That this is a a a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away, but everything else is relatable. Yeah. The emotions, the way people react to one another. Um, it's very, very, very human. Yeah. So th- thank you for going down that path with me. I, I'm part of the camp that thinks that this progressed the story of Last Jedi. Uh, I didn't see it as fixing things. It was addressing things that Last Jedi didn't address. You know, even the fact that one of the biggest ones, Ray being a Palpatine, to oh, me, yes. was a progression of her arc, right? Yeah. What is harder? In the first movie, you are introduced to her. You find out she doesn't know her family. It's a really big part of her identity. She talks about it the whole movie, mm-hmm. about wanting to get back to Jakku so she can find her family and eventually letting go of that. But it's still a big part of her. Like, what is my identity? Mm. Right? It's not until The Force Awakens in her that she really lets go of finding her family at least getting back to Jakku, right? She'll actually go down and, and go find Luke and things like that. But even when she goes and meets Luke, she's still trying to find her identity, right? And to be told in that movie, you're nobody, that's gut-wrenching for her. That's really difficult. And I loved that she was nobody, right? Or at least she was told that she was nobody, so that she would have to accept that. Then in this movie, what would be harder than finding out that you're nobody, Finding out you're the granddaughter of one of the most evil people that's ever been in uh, one of the most evil villains that we've seen in any franchise, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Palpatine is pretty bad, right? Yep. He's turned this whole galaxy into a war zone. I don't know. I don't know how worse it can get. Yeah. Right. And and um, you know that there were satisfying bits about that too, about going and seeing the Sith cult in action. Yeah. Um, and you know, his laboratory where he's cooking up Snokes and, you know, making um, 
henchman for himself. Uh, it just all. Well, can I say, can I point on that? Yeah, I love that he created Snoke. When I found that out, I went, "Oh, do I like that? Is that right? Huh? Let me think about that." And then here's why I ended up liking that. And they they and, and put the you can see a Snoke floating in a tank. Yeah, you want to see which is like oh that's kind of weird. Um, so they're making another one. Great. Uh, they've got just Snoke's across the galaxy that they just made. <laughs> but what worked for me was I thought back to that line in um, that conversation between Anakin and Palpatine in, in Revenge of the Sith, which is one of my favorites, um, where. They're talking and watching that really cool, I don't know, ballet thing. In the yeah, with the, like, with the water like, kind of bubbling around or whatever it is. Whatever show I want to go to, I want to go to see that. Um, but he says that, you know, became so powerful in the, with the Force that he could, um, you know, convince or uh, influence the Metachlorians to create life. And you're just thinking, oh, that would be so cool. And, and you then see him do it with Snoke. Like that to me was proof that he could do that. Dude, right. I never, I never made that connection. And I thought, I think they were trying to make that connection more to Skywalker, to Anakin too, and creating him because we know that he had no father, right? Um, but then to show, to see him do it again, yeah, right, and to see him actually like uh, have them actually make that connection in front of you, you know? Yeah, and and not just creating life, but creating, um, you know, Snoke was the supervillain that we came back to when this franchise kicked off again, right? Um. You know, Kylo Ren had to bend his knee in front of Snoke because Snoke was so powerful. But again, he was just kind of grown in a Petri dish on yeah. Mexico. <laughs> exactly. And he's not the only one he did, right? Because a lot of the question came after the movie. Wait, so, all right. If Palpatine is, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe the grandfather I, to Rey. I think I know where you're going. Maybe that's the Taika movie. Maybe it is a rom-com with Palpatine <laughs> looking for love and giving up and starting a laboratory. <laughs> He doesn't deserve love. We know that. Um, but that's they address that after the fact. And that's the thing. Like maybe they, they put a lot into that movie, but they didn't explain that, right? They so sure didn't. Later on, it came out Twitter that... Twitter has some theories. Yeah. Well, I think they confirmed this one. It, let's make sure of that. But he created a clone that he called his son. It was a... It was a not an unaltered clone, but a, you know, a relatively similar clone to him. Um... And that was his son, who then had Ray. So it was again created life in his own way, <laughs> um, and then that life created Ray. So the clone met a, a girl who was not a clone. Is that right? Yeah, he met somebody else completely. You know, left did not want to be. You Set know, a, a cantina somewhere. Yeah, didn't want to over and well, said hello. Maybe so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> What did you just say? He was at a cantina somewhere and spotted her, went over and said hello. Yeah. And they had... Got and, her phone number. Yep. And uh, I was going to say, uh, he had her at hello, probably, right? <laughs> you know, so that's essentially how I understood it, was that so, this and, clone and, left Palpit, left his dad, quote yeah. unquote, to then find love and had Ray. But I wonder if that was part of the master plan. Was that... Maybe. Because he is that sinister and cunning. That he could set this whole thing into motion and send his clone son. What is, what is Palpatine's first name? Do we know? Oh, I just blanked on it. Yeah, we do. Senator. <laughs> Emperor. So he sends little Senator Jr. out into the galaxy. Um, no, so he has a first name. I can't remember it right now. <laughs> Why not? Jerry, right? Jerry. Jerry. Palpatine. <laughs> 
I will find this one second. Okay. It's going to slap me across the you face. You go ahead and look for that. Um, I'll keep going and I'll say, so I, I wonder if he was that cunning to say like, all right, I'm going to set this whole thing into motion and I'm going to send little Palpatine Jr. out into the universe to find uh, a girlfriend so that um, they can create this really powerful, what is it? What are you <laughs> laughing can't at? can't be real. Joe? <laughs> Joe? <laughs> Uh, that I don't know if you're right, Bing. I'll have to look at Google and see what it says. Oh, uh, Bing told you it's Joe. Bing said it was Joe. Joe Palpatine. <laughs> uh, that's the new title of this this episode. Joe Palpatine Palps. <laughs> and his many clones, or something. I don't oh know. my gosh. Okay. Well, so <laughs> where do you go from there? Uh, so one of the things that that ended up working for me when we found out that um, that that uh, that clones were involved and. Palpatine's uh, sinister Exegol laboratories. The whole idea of Rey being a nobody kind of makes sense if if she is descendant of a clone, because there's this whole debate to this day about you know are are clones um, do they have a soul or do we treat them as, as humans when we get to that point or is it something kind of different? Is it an output of some technology? Yeah. And to say that you know um, the offspring of a clone is a nobody that kind of works too. Is it Joe? Is it's it really Joe. Joe? It's Sheev. And now that I said, now that I look it up, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> Sheev. That's I remember seeing that one. That yeah, um, you're right. But he didn't actually, according to this, he didn't have a first name until about 2014, and then sources came out and said what his name was. So anyway, um, I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got we got lost on that for a, a little bit. It's okay. Um, but I totally agree with you that like for Ray's story, uh, this really works and. And it kind of makes sense why, you know, when you just look back as far as the parents, you can see that she's nobody. When you go to the next generation, oh, maybe she is somebody. And that explains the Force connections, not just completely random. Though I do like the fact that there are Force-sensitive people, Broom Boy in Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Maybe that's his movie. That's uh, Taika's movie yeah. right there is Broom yeah. Boy. Um, he could do something great with that, right? Yeah. And actually, no, I'm, I'm kind of serious. I would love to see that. I would love to see him go to... Uh, an area of the galaxy where there's people discovering that they're force sensitive and trying to figure out what that means. Yeah, and 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 um, so you know you brought in the the Marvel universe a little bit earlier, but to to bring in the the Harry Potter universe, which is another um, huge fandom, um, I think people have always really liked that there can be people who are born uh, wizards or witches whose parents don't have any magic powers. Right. And, Why does Star Wars have to be? Yeah, I, I right. like that. And so I was completely satisfied with the idea that Rey was the the daughter of some other maybe scavengers who didn't have any special powers and they ditched her or whatever, you know, whatever that sad story was shaping up to be. Um, I thought that was kind of cool too. But now, yeah, we see where the powers come from and that yeah. works just as well. All right. So we're, we've gone a long time with Rise of Skywalker. There's one more thing I do want to do uh, on this topic though. And I want to go through a few of the elements in the movie and rate them on a scale of loved it, liked it, meh, hated it. Okay. Um, so you give me some, I'll give you some. You just let me know what you think. Um, and maybe the first one that I'll, I'll throw out there is some of the stuff we've already talked about again. Um, the introduction of Palpatine and creating Snoke and, you know, influencing Ben Solo. Thoughts on that? Or yeah, just at least rating. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of give a little preamble to my rating. I thought a lot of that stuff worked really well. I thought that they nailed how creepy Palpatine should be at this point. Yeah. 
now that he's kind of piecing himself back together, he's sort of kept alive by he's dangling from this mechanical arm thing that I don't know what it's doing, but I have a sense that he couldn't really get around without it. Um, I thought Exegol was great. I, I thought, you know, at this point, uh, you know, years and years after we originally meet him, to see him so sort of like shadowy and decayed and creepy, I thought they nailed that. I thought all that was done really well. Believable that he's back. Yeah, I, I had a hard time with that at first. I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time with how is he sort of going to be physically back. But the idea that one of the most powerful Sith Lords that's ever existed is finding his way back into the Skywalker saga story. uh, I got comfortable with that pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say at first I was skeptical, but I knew that they could pull it off. And I think they did. So I would say liked it. Yeah, liked it too. Yeah. Um, Next one, Ray's training. (laughs) <laughs> you know something something odd took me out of it in race training um yeah you mentioned earlier the idea of, of kind of being taken out of the movie for a second by um whatever it might be maybe it's too fast-paced whatever one of the things that kind of took me out of that was uh when uh I th- is it she throws the lightsaber and it cuts the tree and the tree falls over yeah and lands on bb8 yeah um or a limb or something yeah yeah a limb or a big chunk of the tree or something like that and she 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 realizes and kind of snaps out of it and goes and, and helps him out something that kind of took me out of that was the perspective or the or the the comparative size of bb8 as a character to her like if something in that scene like i just thought he looked huge <laughs> and i think of bb8 as being like this little guy who's sort of like this little ankle biter guy who's kind of under your feet chasing <laughs> you around. Um, and he looked massive in that scene for me for some reason. Well, he's bigger than I think you realize. Like when you look at Force Awakens and at one point Finn has to hold him and carry him, he falls backwards with him in the, in right, the Falcon. Right. He's pretty big, actually. Right. He's not that small. But um, but I, I know what you mean. But, I, you know, I, I think maybe and it could be just kind of the perspective of some of the shots they do um, since his introduction that make him seem like... Uh, uh, a little bit smaller than he actually is, but in, you know when it, that tree landed on him, I just thought, "Wow, what is? It? Who is that? It's huge." Yeah, I, and uh, and on BB-8, real quick, I thought they didn't really use him that much, and I was disappointed in that. No. Um, same with R2D2, who's actually not used very much in all of this this trilogy. But yeah, but uh, you know, we we've discussed this before. Uh, somebody on on Twitter said that hey, this is probably C three PO's best performance, and I think yes. there's truth to that. So C three PO, we're actually getting to some of the ones I wanted to get to. So I would say love it. Love C three PO. Love C three PO. I, I would movie. agree with you on that. I, and I it. love what they give him to do. They give him some great comedic lines, like at the, when they um, go to Pasana for the first time, and he has his uh, his moment where he's obviously not connecting to what's being talked about, and says says something, and everyone's like. Come on, C three PO. That's always great. When um, they're sort of, I, I can't remember um, exactly the context. I think they're sort of standing on the shore, looking at the waves crashing at the 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 Death Star wreckage, and somebody mentions Babu Frick, and he says, "Oh, that's my oldest friend. One of my oldest friends." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so great. And that's the kind of stuff that really worked with him this time. He didn't get all of that uh, kind of freedom and dialogue, I think, in the previous film. So loved. C-3PO in this movie. Yeah, it's absolutely terrific um, and showed, uh, I think, a lot of emotion and, again, depth. So that, that's a thing that came up for me a few times in this conversation today is I feel like um, some things that maybe could have been two-dimensional or more three-dimensional. Like, yeah, that moment before Babu switches him off and he takes a look at his friends one last time, that's oh. a genuinely emotional moment. Yeah. And, 
you know, some people consider the droids to be like appliances, like you would uh, anything else in your house that does a job for you, like yeah. a dishwasher or a washing machine or whatever. But um, it's clear at this point that it, that he is a friend um, and that it's mutual that he cares about them. And they care about him. Plus, I don't uh, just in terms of the Skywalker saga, like this is closing the Skywalker saga down, right? This this movie, right? C-3PO and R2-D2, if I'm not mistaken, are the only two other than Palpatine, technically, that are with us from episode one yeah. from, to all the way to episode nine. So you are riding this journey mostly with those droids. And I think we've talked about this. George Lucas has put these droids in the movie so that they're almost like us being there. Yes. It's intended. That's why they were the first ones we met when we yeah. watched uh, um, New Hope, right? Yeah. And, and apparently the, the background of that is that George Lucas loves samurai movies. Mm. And um, a lot of these samurai movies, uh, the only one I've ever seen is called Throne of Blood by Akira Kurosawa. And it was pretty cool. Um, but apparently there's uh, just there's there's a ton more that I need to see if I thought that one was cool. But apparently one of these things that they do in these samurai movies is they have uh, some peasants that help to uh, show the impact of the story that's happening. So a lot of the, a lot of epic movies, plays, uh, novels are all about the people who are the decision makers, the power brokers, the kings, the queens, and so on, um, and how the de- decisions that they they make sort of serve their interests or whatever. Um, but apparently in, in uh, Japanese films and Japanese theater, especially these samurai movies, they show the peasants and they show the impact of what mm. the kings and queens are doing and how it affects them. And so apparently George Lucas took that and put that into the droids and said all right the droids aren't going to be the politicians they're not going to be the generals they're not going to be the jedis but they're sort of getting innocent bystanders they're bystanders that are sort of getting thrown around in the story as a result of everything else that's happening and you can picture yourself in that seat so the audience can vicariously live through the eyes of the droids basically right and that's and i think that's the point i'm trying to make is he is sitting here about to be have his memory basically wiped right um in order for him to serve this one important plot point. And he looks around. He Yeah, he sees Ray and he sees Poe and Finn. These are his friends, yeah. But he's not just seeing them. He's reflecting on everyone that he's met since Anakin created years him. Years and years and all these people, yeah. And he's just thinking, I'm taking one last look at my friends and thinking on all these great memories I have stored in here. And living vicariously, right? That's exactly what we're doing in that moment is thinking... Look at everything that we've experienced in this this journey so far, and how great it's been. Like, let's stop and appreciate it for a moment. And I and I love that he got that moment. It's, yeah, it's very touching. Um, so we both agree that love it. Love that one for sure. Final battle. Love it. Like it. Meh. Hate it. So I, I liked it. Uh, there was one thing that took me out of it, and I really struggled with it in the in the moment in the theater. But you since you set me straight, so I appreciate that. Uh, but I. One of the things that I really struggled with was I didn't understand how all these characters were running around on the surface of these Star Destroyers if they were in outer space. Yeah. And then I think I, I responded that I think they're still in the atmosphere. So they're, they're hovering above. They haven't really reached space yet. So the air is probably a bit thin, but they can still breathe. Yeah. And... and um but then again, I don't know how physics works in a galaxy far away. They could be, work differently than it, ours. It could be different. Yeah, I, yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so there, there was a few moments there where I thought, well, how are they running around? Oh, and they brought the horse things. How can they breathe? <laughs> um, but gosh, yeah, the some of the imagery there, like just the 
the thousands of star destroyers covering the whole the whole horizon, the whole sky, just um, just the massive fleet, just the threat of that and how scary and um, menacing that looks. Like just that image alone um, really set up a, a pretty cool set up a cool scene. But then, yeah, when when the reinforcements show up and Babu Frick pops up <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, that, and we got that, some old favorites in there, too. Yep, right? Yep. Good point. Um, so, that, yeah. So emotionally, I think that that tugged on all the right heartstrings. Yeah, I agree. And I think the I, I liked it, I would say. Um, it could have been a little bit more epic. And I think, uh, I, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but I think the one thing that does this movie a disservice is its timing in comparison to what's happening with Marvel. And the, with Endgame coming out six months earlier, a lot of people drew parallels to that movie oh. fairly. Some of it looks like, oh, Disney, I saw what you did there. Did you just do that over there too because it worked really well? I don't I don't know. But a lot of people drew those parallels and felt like they were just watching, so it didn't feel like it had the impact. But it still works. If you look at it by itself oh, yeah, totally and forget works. about that context, it still really works. So that's why I put it as like it and think that that was just a disservice. But it did. It happened again when Ray is facing off with Palpatine, mm-hmm. and she has her line where she gets to say, I, um, and I am all the Jedi. A lot of people thought, and I am Iron Man. It was. It's like... Hmm. yeah uh that's just a disservice in terms of timing yeah if it were not preceded by uh you know by marvel maybe it would have hit a little bit differently Hmm. you know but i think a lot of people had that feeling um so but all by itself i still really liked it yeah me too um can can i can i throw one at you and then uh you know maybe we'll we'll end on this note sure so the closing scene where ray finds her way back to tattoo good one to end on See, this to me is the end of her arc. And again, all the reactions I heard afterwards, right? Um, Why weren't all of the Jedi there? Why was it just Luke and Leia? Well, because that Luke and Leia were her trainers, right? They're very important to Ray. They've they've kind of become her family. Yes, they in, have become her family in an absence of a family. Well, yeah, I guess she she sort of acknowledges that they're her family. Uh, and yeah. the one person who can't show up because he's not technically. You know, tied to the Force, Han Solo, also part of her family, right? right. Um, father figure, as we saw in Force yeah. Awakens. So she is sitting here looking at Ben Solo and Han Solo and Luke and Leia and knowing where she has come from and struggling the whole entire three movies we've seen her in to find her identity. And finally she has learned, after finding out she's nobody and then finding out she's worse than nobody, she has finally realized it doesn't matter where I came from. It matters who I am now. And who I choose to be. And how I identify myself and who I choose to be. And she is choosing to be a Skywalker because she knows what that name represents. And she is carrying that mantle forward. So that is, to me, paying respect to the Skywalker saga. And everything that has happened. This family that did not get created by natural ways, right? It was just created out of nowhere. Um had three generations basically and then died off now it's living on right and it's living on through her that works for me it's her choosing to pay homage to it it's her choosing to identify herself as a skywalker and to me that is really important and i think the one point that you've brought up in the past i'll let you bring it up is the one that doesn't work for you there's one thing that doesn't work I'll, i'll i'll start with um actually i'll start with that and then i'll end on a positive okay so my my answer is that uh i actually love it you love right? that one okay and i would say i also love when she gets on the the um yeah i was gonna mention that too the little scooter goes down or whatever that she, was the, the, 
what's it called the, the rubble. sled well, yeah, yeah sled and she just slides down as a flashback to when she did that force awakens yeah. with her theme playing over it. i love that yeah so i was going to mention um i'll get back to that but the woman who comes from nowhere who pops up and asks who she is in the middle of a desert <laughs> middle of a desert like worry about yourself lady like <laughs> <laughs> who are you does it matter <laughs> right <laughs> what business is a bit of yours that's a foil that's somebody who's only there to help you move the story along for somebody else yeah and i i agree like it's kind of unbe- like unbelievable that she would have just popped up at that moment yeah. and ray wouldn't have noticed her or something i don't know maybe maybe um she was her ride out to <laughs> um she rode the that was her uber driver it was before uber. she pulled away <laughs> <laughs> she's like why are we here who are you <laughs> And then she has her moment. Um, I know a lot of questions for an Uber driver. Yeah, exactly. Three stars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, Uh, but so what really worked for me in that last scene, um, I liked her burying the, the lightsabers. I thought that was kind of a, a cool visual that you can spend a lot of time reading into. I, I really loved the going back to the force awakens, uh, and her sledding down the hill into the little uh, building that that Luke used to live in, I I loved that they paired that with Ray's theme, and I think I think Ray's theme might be my favorite new music of this last of trilogy. This trilogy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just beautiful. You so, know, next to Kylo Ren's, who's also is pretty good. I I still think, uh, yeah, hers is probably the top. Yeah, that's it's I think my favorite one. So they, you know, her sort of playfully sledding and letting her guard down and relaxing for the first time in a while. Um, seeing seeing that side of her, I thought was really nice, and hearing that music, and then for me, um, you know, one of my probably top two, three favorite shots in the whole saga is uh, her and BB-8 wandering out to look at the the two suns setting. Yeah, that that visual for me is just one of the most stunning things in the whole the whole saga. Well, and silhouettes are really important, right? Yes. and that's a very recognizable silhouette of her because of you know the staff, her hair, yep. like whatever it is. BB-8 obviously. BB-8 is very recognizable when you see Luke in that, the very recognizable, right? Um it's such an iconic shot and it's when you were introduced to it in the in the New Hope, right? Where all of this started, that's really I feel like in the the moment in the movie where you f- it's so pivotal. Yeah. You feel like there is something really important about to happen, right? Yeah, and especially for this character. That that this is the bookend shot to that. And the in the yeah. first one, we see Luke kind of wandering out into the desert and looking off at the the two suns. There's like a yearning and a longing and a, an expectation, a feeling that things are about to get uh, pretty wild. Yeah. And here we get the feeling, the opposite feeling, almost of like we've had that and now we have resolution and we have peace. And we have a bit of hope for the future. So Which, I just thought it was beautiful. Speaking of future, I hope we get more Ray. I want to know I, I more so what too. happens from here. I like, hope so too. I want to see the, the um, you know, I want to see the Jedi come back. And I want to see her lead it. And I want to see how they rebuild from the past 60 years, I think is what it is for, yeah. for Palpatine. You know, the mess that he's created in the galaxy, how they start to fix that. Right. Yeah. Um, I do hope the Sith eventually come back so that we have that turmoil again. We can yeah. get introduced to a new set of villains and see how they evolve. But um, I still, I think that's 500 to use in the future or something from Ray. Mm. Like go explore that later on. And guess what? You can do that very easily and you know introduce new characters and stuff and not have to worry about bringing back actors and things so if they're not if they're done and and they're deciding to hang up the shelf you can still talk about those things as if they happened and not show it but i still hope they can show it yeah at some point 
All right, we're going to move on to the last segment of our episode today, which typically would be filled with other stories and other people's fandom, but... And will um, be. Eventually. And will be at some point. But since we're you know not there yet, we're going to fill it with uh, a few of our stories um, and explore our fandom a little bit. So we've each prepared a couple of questions for each other uh, that we'll ask one another and then answer ourselves. And then we'll close this out. So uh, first question, I'll start. Go for it. Um, I would like to know what planet in the Star Wars galaxy would you want to live on if it were real? Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a few that I would say. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. There's um, there's two different ones, very different ones. Um, because you know, everybody talks about how the different planets and different locations in the Star Wars galaxy all have just this one climate, this one ecosystem. Yeah. Like you go to Hoth, it's just wherever you go on Hoth, North Pole, South Pole, Equator, it's going to be cold and there's going to be wampus and things like that um but for me uh i would either really like to go to uh scarif that was mine um just because the crystal blue water palm trees that suits me i like that Uh it looks like a a nice place to uh retire or hang out um and then the other one for me is uh the forest moon of endor i've i've always loved um California, the West Coast, and uh, for the first time just a couple years ago, I got to go see the Redwoods in person, and it's an impressive sight, and uh, just looks like a beautiful place, a place where uh, um, just the the just the awe of nature is is totally overwhelming, and the little teddy bear inhabitants are pretty cute too. <laughs> yeah, the Redwoods are are pretty amazing in there, and it kind of makes you feel like California, which I think you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, you. Or You'd like the Pacific Northwest, even. it's just uh, it's a cool vibe. It looks like yeah. a, a really cool place. So yeah, one of those two. What about you? I like that. No, Scarif, I was going to say uh, as well, for similar reasons. I just feel like it's very tropical, other than like, uh, you know, the the base that's there. Like, it's a pretty beautiful scene, yeah. right? But I don't know, maybe you can get some good, uh, um, get some good TV with the dish that they have. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> while you're on vacation, at least. Uh, still watch your favorite show from Coruscant. So, yeah, I think same thing. The crystal blue water just makes it feel like a very tropical uh, island sort of vibe. Um, and I love that. So, Scarif. It's, it's so hard to imagine anything bad happening there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could just see you, you know, going. I don't know what the drink that is that you would have there if it's a pina colada, but that's something what comes like, to mind, yeah. right? Yep. Um, yeah. You know, maybe is it a blue milk? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yellow milk and it's no more pina colada white i don't know anyway i don't drink um <laughs> moving on <laughs> uh so if if it wasn't scarif though because you gave a couple i was also thinking a second up or, or other ones that i would go to would probably be uh naboo okay i think it has a very beautiful you know landscapes like you you see like the far country view. You see you know the Wonder Water Village. Yeah, you know, the, with the Gunga, that's just pretty cool. Very uh, cool. And it kind of has a Rome feel to it, a European feel to it. Uh, you know, in the city, which I, if I could live anywhere in this world, it would probably be Europe. So, really? Okay. Um. Hmm. So I I like that about Naboo. Okay. Uh. And so that's why I was choosing. And then, sorry, Coruscant. I would just love to. Visit. I was going to ask if that was going to come up. Yeah. Well, like it just feels like New York City. But the whole planet. Again. And you notice that that's something I always found funny about the planets in Star Wars. Like they're all, it's hard to imagine that what you see there is literally what the whole planet looks like. Yep. So if it's a desert, 
it's a desert planet. Yeah. Right. Whereas, you know, Earth is full of so many different climates and, and things. There is just like every planet has its one. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and there is um so I always wondered about Coruscant because, you know, how can you cover the whole face of a planet and have the planet survive? Yeah. And um It's a good point, actually. The, and just so there's like a couple of things that I've wondered about it, but there was and I, I can't remember which one it was. Maybe somebody listening knows and they can they can send us a message or something. But in one of the expanded universe novels, there was a description of on Coruscant there's a giant machine that goes around and basically eats disused buildings and recycles the materials. And then a new building gets built right behind that. So it just goes through like mowing the lawn and the grass kind of regrows. How quickly is that process? <laughs> I, I don't know, but like it's pretty intense, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's the other thing is like neighborhoods, you know, buildings get old and, and you know, some it gets gentrified and hipsters move in and well, they, open up coffee shops and record stores. And yeah, on Coruscant, it's gotta be that times a, a billion. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm now wondering what's the carbon footprint of coaxium, but we'll we'll <laughs> say that for another time. All right, you ask the next question. Okay. Um, the next one, uh, you know, the one that I wanted to talk about is uh, in the fandom. You know, things can go pretty deep and pretty wide at the same time. Um, so you know, we're lucky in that our, our particular fandom has video games, comic books, movies, uh, and all these big backstories. And you know, we have canon, we have legends. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what's, what's the most, uh, what's a fun, obscure fact that you know about star Wars that you'd like to oh, share? You are much better at this than I am. And honestly, my only obscure facts are from you though. <laughs> I, so I, I will say one, but then I'll also say one, uh, uh, something you might not have heard. Um, so I think my most obscure fact came from you not too long ago. It was, uh, that apparently the, um, redwoods, as we were talking about the trees on Endor are flame retardant mm-hmm. and like. That sounds pretty useful, you know, for yeah. a, a bunch of, you know, uh, creatures that have built their homes in them. Like, yeah, that would be nice. And I can just imagine George Lucas sitting and looking out his window at the Redwoods and going, you know what? I really hope we don't get any forest fires this year. Yeah. I'm going to make it so there's none for the for, that, That's for the Endor. ultimate California fantasy is that nothing burns down. <laughs> I, I Yeah, uh, especially... Especially now, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was the most obscure one you taught me. But here's the new one. And, and this is less about Star Wars, but um, we'll cover this at some point. On the uh, Blu-ray set that okay. came out um, probably 10 years ago now, uh, they had a lot of great special features. And we'll cover some of the stuff that, that's in there. And one of them was about like the science of Star Wars. Cool. And explorers whether or not some of the technology is actually possible. So can can we make a lightsaber? Stuff can like we that? make a lightsaber? Can we solve that once and for Please all? Say yes. I don't think we can. Okay. Um, I, I got to go and rewatch yet. it again to make sure. Maybe yet. I don't know. Let's always let's just always hope and say yet. Um, but they, I think they did talk think about, about how irresponsible human beings are, though. Nobody should have a lightsaber. Oh no! Exactly. And then there's always the question of whether or not that's a step forward or backward from the technology that we already have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, let's not let's not go into that here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but the one that was interesting that I think they said could be possible. Some of them might be, some of them might not be. Were the um, some of the ships, not the ones that like the the speeders that could hover over the ground, like. Maybe that's possible, you know, but I don't think that was the definitive. But things like the TIE fighter. Okay. That uh, Sign me up. there could be a way to, to make that happen. 
Um, I, I think they said the X-Wing was a little bit more difficult because if you look at it, like it actually splits the engine apart. It's like, how does that happen? The turbine is no longer together yep. on both sides. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a question. But um, but I think they, they said that tie, the tie um, was possible. Pretty cool. So that's something we can cover in another episode. Yeah, that, that would be a good one too. Yeah, the, the sort of science and, you know, what's possible with Star Wars. Cool. Yeah. So your your turn. Yeah, so I, I I am a sucker for these kinds of things. I love the obscure facts. I love I love things from legends, especially, and from uh, the non-canon novels, comic books, things like that. Because there's so much of it, and it gets pretty silly and goofy in some spots. Um, all right, so I'm I'm going to go back to a a comic book. So this is from back when Marvel actually had the Star Wars comic books. So uh, I, I came across this on Looper.com. Um, more recently, you know, we, I think there's been different incarnations. There was, I think in the late nineties, two thousands, dark horse comics had, had exclusive rights to star Wars, but this was back when, when Marvel was aligned, um, with star Wars. And so this is from issue number 48 called, uh, the third law. And, uh, just, this kind of ties in really nicely to the conversation we were having in that the whole planet has one, uh, economy, I guess you could say where, uh, you know, we've talked about. Uh, how we have desert planets and Endor is a far that the forest moon of Endor is all all trees. So this is a planet that's all banks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the plot of issue number forty eight of Marvel's original run of Star Wars is that the rebellion needs money, and Leia goes to this bank planet to apply for a loan, and Darth Vader finds out. And this this whole issue, this comic is Darth Vader trying to thwart the loan application. And <laughs> I, I don't know how it's tied in, um, but uh, apparently there's some uh, like crown jewels that Darth Vader's trying to steal while he's there. Because why not? <laughs> because. <laughs> but if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to read this um, this closing sentence from this article uh, on Looper.com about the issue, the issue, issue number 48 of Star Wars where Leia goes to apply for a bank loan for the Rebellion. You heard that right. <laughs> and it closes out with, um, ultimately, Vader doesn't even care about preventing the acquisition of a loan because he wants to steal the planet's crown jewels because, actually, you know what? Never mind. Just never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I love little tidbits like that. So yeah, the, the oddball stuff that you pick up in comic books and the expanded universe novels, the goofier it is, please send it our way. I, I should have said, you know, my favorite trivia is, did you know that Palpatine's first name was Joe? But, yeah. Joey Palps. <laughs> but we, I don't think we can trust Bing anymore. <laughs> um, We've learned our lesson. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, next question. Yeah, so next one, um, and a good one I think to end on is, uh, you know, this is episode one for us. Um We've got plenty more in the future, and we've got topics to pick out. And I'd be curious to know, what are you most looking forward to discussing on an uh, upcoming show? Yeah, I, honestly, I'm looking forward to a lot. I think we've talked about a few things that we want to do. One of the things was like interviewing our friends who either are novices or amateurs or pros when, when it comes to uh, you know Star Wars knowledge or uh, you know just looking at it for the first time. Um, maybe not even know it at all. Like I, I would love to interview them. Uh, one of the things that I really hope to do more of is actually rank very obscure things. One of the things I enjoy doing is actually ranking the lightsaber battles. Yeah. 
and thinking about you know which one's our favorite and why i've already kind of got my my rank in my head ranking the music Ooh, you know yeah that's uh, tough it is really tough these are some tough things that we'll have to you know dive into and and really you know become a little bit more knowledgeable about too so yeah. i'm actually looking forward to doing some of that kind of stuff okay and cool. we're not just going to do reviews of everything that's come out there's so many people's opinions on that we will talk about them yeah. right like we just did with rise of skywalker this time because hey it's relevant but, but i but our things i want to explore something different right right exactly exactly so th- that's really what i'm looking forward to i think what about you cool yeah so I'm, I'm on the same page i love the idea of um ultimately making connections with folks and um being able to uh learn from them about their star wars uh journey and and how they got into it and things like that um especially i'm I'm really excited to meet some newer fans too i think that's really cool and Um, and then i'd say like surround myself with fans that might be a little bit more like-minded and 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 trying to learn more and and explore it more and take a and be positive about it but we want to hear from everybody right yeah open-minded inclusive everybody's invited to the star bros party yeah um we want everybody to feel like they're kind of like at home with us hanging out and um just you know one of our one of our bros yeah i agree i'm looking forward to building that community as well awesome uh, specifically, I- I'm really looking forward to uh, two things. One, on on your kind of like community building point, the possibility that someday we'll be able to connect with people face to face. Yeah, I am looking forward to a day where uh, there's a Star Wars film coming out, and we can have a meetup at a theater and like grab dinner with with uh, you know fe- fellow Star Bros and go off to the theater and watch the movie together, and then maybe go to the diner afterwards and talk about it for two yeah. hours. Um, <laughs> we'll rent the diner out if we yeah. have to. <laughs> um, I, I hope you know one of my aspirations for this whole thing is that someday we get to go to uh, Celebration and do a meetup oh, with other other people who are part of the Star Bros community. Um, so you know stuff like that I think would be terrific. But in in the near term, something that I'm really excited to uh, dig into is the Mandalorian. Yeah, uh, we're we're not that far away from season two. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in season one. It's just so it's so rich with detail. It's so rich with stuff to talk about. Um, if you have Disney Plus, the the Mandalorian gallery was an A plus. Just really really informative and entertaining and stuff. So even there. There's stuff about the show to unpack in, in addition to the story and the characters and so on. And we'll so, do some of that. We'll look at the behind the scenes, right? Yeah, because yeah. I like to read the Art of Skywalker uh, or, or the Art of Star Wars books yeah. um, and not just look at the art, but also read about what inspired it and see how you know it came to the final concept yep. that they put down on paper um, or on canvas, I guess you should say. Yeah. You know, however you say that. But um you know, I also like the the uh, dictionaries, the visual dictionaries they come so out cool. with, right? And the the making ofs, the behind the scene um, extras that you get. So either with the movies or that they release after the fact. So totally agree. We're we, going to we cover all dig that. Dig into all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So hopefully you've enjoyed our first podcast. Uh, we hope you engage with us further. There are a few ways that you can do that. First of all, uh, consider becoming a Patreon. Um, we are uh, are on facebook as well um so all these other places where again like we said we want to engage with you so these are places where we're we're starting and if there are other places that you typically like to engage with uh you know your podcast we're going to try to be on every uh way every possible outlet for getting podcasts we'll be try to be there um you know so look us up find ways tell us what we can do to make it easier to follow 
and uh, you know, engage with us in every way possible. Shout out to a few people. I'll shout out to the band uh, The Yavin Four. The Yavin Four, who's helping us uh, provide some music for you at the onset. Um, they're a bunch of great guys. Maybe we'll interview them at some point. I I, I would love to interview them. Um, so shout out to Benny No Good of The Yavin Four. Um, you can find them on Bandcamp, by the way. They're they're awesome. They're a four piece from. Obviously, they're a four-piece um, from Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, they write a ton of cool Star Wars music. So they've got two albums out now. Uh, go buy them on Bandcamp, and we're probably going to be playing them more as the show evolves. But uh, yeah, we'd love to maybe even like do a giveaway at some point. So I emailed him. Um, so we connected through a, a Star Wars uh, Facebook page, and I, I think it'd be really cool to interview them. I think it'd be really cool to do a giveaway at some point, get them to autograph a CD, or um, they actually have a vinyl pressing of their most recent album. Also. So it'd be really cool to um, get them more involved in the show. But yeah, check them out. Uh, awesome music, really entertaining, good people too. So if you like the show, uh, don't forget to, what do, what do people say? Smash that subscribe button. Make sure you subscribe. Um, leave <laughs> a review if you like the show. And like Ben said, uh, if, if you're somewhere that we're not yet, uh, we'll meet you where you are. So whether it's Twitter or whatever else, we want to make sure that we're connecting with you um, in the places where wherever you are. And then finally, uh, you know, we don't view uh, the show as being competitive with other Star Wars podcasts. It's a big universe and we think there's room for everybody. So naturally, we're fans of other Star Wars blogs, podcasts, websites, things like that. Um, and, and a podcast that I've listened to for ages now is called the Wampas Lair. And, um, it's always really like their take on things. I appreciate their take on things. I appreciate how deep they go. And, uh, it's our understanding that, uh, Carl LeClaire, one of the hosts of the Wampas Lair, uh, recently had uh, a pretty significant health scare, but is on the mend. So, uh, one of the notes that we wanted to end on is just to send our best wishes to Carl and all the Larians and the Wampa Lair show and just say, uh, you know, we hope you make a, a speedy recovery and we're looking forward to you getting back behind the mic so you can listen to more great episodes. Awesome. Well, that wraps it up for our first uh, podcast. So Does it wrap was, it up? It wraps it up. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know, but I think we have a catchphrase coming, don't we? I think we do. <laughs> we'll see you next time. It's a wrap! <laughs>